podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. Here on the channel we've got all sorts of podcasts from mental health, MMA, football, film, TV, conspiracy theories and of course our unique series My Story where we interview uh, athletes or actors, people from different professions. We take them through their careers and life. We've got a new episode dropping uh, this Sunday with former WBO world champion Robbie Regan. Uh, previous episodes in that series was with uh, former Wales international Reese Weston and former England cricketer Chris Lewis. We also have our series Unscripted and Uncensored, which is uh, basically features every cage warriors fighter any ever. There's just like all of them are on there, and uh, a couple of UFC guys and uh, a few others. So check them out. I'm uh, talking some wrestling today, and I'm joined by Talk Sport US editor Mr. Alex McCarthy. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. All things considered, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay, mate. It's, uh, it's just weird time, isn't it? It's just weird. <laughs> like everything, was, everything is weird. I can't stop looking at myself in the camera, like because I'm so used to having like a skin fade, and now I've yeah. got like you know, the, the side of my hair is killing me. That's it. And I'm gonna now stop playing with my hair because I normally have it up, and I just broke my bobble seconds before we press record. So it's a bit. It's just meant both we stood stood there yeah. looking at our looking at our hair. It but, was meant um, to run wild. Yeah, that's it. That's it, mate. Yeah, it is. It's a weird weird time, but you know, it's trying to make the best of it, isn't it? It's um, like how are you finding it working from home and uh, the kids being off and everything? Yeah. Um. Obviously, I've got. Well, not obviously. People aren't obviously going to know, but I do have. Uh, a, a one and a three-year-old but they're both very nearly at their birthdays so uh my daughter will be four on on may 2nd and then my other daughter will be two in late june so um they're both wanting to get out be active uh and obviously it's, it's terrible really having to keep them confined to the house and the garden but we've had walks where we can feed the ducks and things like that and my eldest is starting to enjoy kicking around the football which is kind of nice um but yeah, it's, I mean, I work from home fairly regularly anyway. I only really go into London Bridge two or three times a week. So it hasn't been that much of a difference. But doing my radio show, that is a bit, I don't think, obviously, I don't think I've been on your show since that started. But, no, no. Um, that has made it a bit different because the last couple of weeks I've done that from home. And as you're probably well aware, like not being able to be in studio. Or, you know, it's very different to even putting the show together to actually doing it with a co-host. It's just, uh, it, that's challenging. I'd much prefer to be in the studio if I could. But, yeah, as far as my day-to-day and reporting from home and all of that stuff, it hasn't changed that much. No, that's not too bad, is it? Yeah, doing, um, I find doing recorded shows, like, remotely are not too bad. But doing a lot, I find doing the live show, which I do on a Monday with them, um, like the football show which we do on a Monday, seven thirty. Yeah. People watch it. Andy Campbell show. It's very, very good. good and, uh, nicely done. Yeah. But um it I find it a bit more challenging because or well, the thing which I find challenging about it is on my screen I've got the chats from 
Twitter, Facebook, and Periscope all at the same time, all in the same thing. Yeah. And um, I find that really difficult because I'm looking at my screen on my left, trying to look at what I need to say. Also listening to Andy, or the last couple of weeks has been Kev McNaughton, but like listening to what they're saying, obviously to follow the conversation and then also follow the live chat as well. I find that really difficult, mm. which I'm, I've got like, I'm used to it now, but the first couple of shows, when I look back at them, I could see myself kind of like <laughs> going like that constantly, but maybe I'm a bit more used to it now, but like, I suppose it's, it's different, it's different for you again. And like, obviously you do, you're used to doing yours in a studio. Mm. Whereas I've only really done my podcast remotely. Generally, there's a couple which I haven't released yet, which are like in-person ones. But what? So what? How are you finding that doing it remotely? I mean, so the the show's been really well received. Like Talksport are very happy mm. with with how it's going at the moment. Uh, it seems that we're picking up fans every week, which is all you can really hope for. Um, it's you know, when, obviously with WrestleMania weekend, I had said to the main producers, hey, not many sports going on at the moment. What about giving us a bit more than our usual hour on the Sunday? That turned into two specials on Saturday and Sunday, which were essentially all like mine. I put them all together. I got all the guests. I got all the content. Uh, so... Well, that was really cool, it was a little bit of pressure too, because it's like, oh man, if this sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, it's all on you. Yeah, but it seems that like they were really pleased with what we did. You know, we had Joe Coffey, uh, Vibe, uh, I always want to call her Viper, Piper Niven. Um, who else did we have? Uh, obviously, Ric Flair. I'd done like a pre-record of him. We had a pre-record of Mark Dallas. Um, we had Trent Seven. We had a pre-record with Big Show. Diamond Dallas Page came on it live. So, like, considering that we, I basically only knew that the show was going ahead on maybe like Tuesday. But considering like we pulled it out of our ass on the week of, is you know I'm pretty happy. Um, and obviously the Drew McIntyre appreciation hour that went really well. Um, got loads of good stuff, good stories, and then obviously it capped it off with him getting the win. So it just would have been so much better though if I was there. Like yeah. if I was actually overseeing it and being able to have my input on it, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into a show that I didn't even really think about until I had a show. So yeah. um, would have been would have been great if I could have been more hands on. But I'm still pleased, really, 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 really pleased with how it came out. Um, very obviously grateful to Will Gavin, who was my co-host on this occasion. He's not the usual one, but he's done a good job, for Alex Shane. And um, the producers as well, they've really got involved. So, you know, slowly perceptions are changing at TalkSport, which is great. Um, with that has come more opportunities for me. You know, WWE, I don't think, are shy about who they want to get the exposure with and give the opportunities to. And they want stations and sites that will give them more coverage. They, You know, they have like a broader spectrum rather than just wrestling sites. So I think that's where working for TalkSport has worked in my favour. But by the same token, it hasn't really just been handed to me either. Like walking into TalkSport, no. wrestling was like at the bottom of the totem pole. So to be where we are now is is really feels good. You know, just being able to talk to Ric Flair last week. Jesus. Like, you know, sometimes you, you look at that and you think, yeah, we, we've come quite a long way. Yeah, and the thing is, like, 
all you've had some massive names on there there in the weekend, and I agree with you that like WWE wants the the biggest exposure that they can get, and work yeah. you know work having it with Talksport. You working for Talksport is going to give you an advantage maybe over some others, but equally, like I know from speaking to other people, how how uh, what's how should I phrase this without getting you into trouble? How <laughs> how much talk sport really cared about wrestling compared to the majority of the other sports on their station so the work that you've put in over the last you know year two years however long as you know it's clear for anyone to see because now there's a weekly show you just did two shows like saturday and sunday show and yeah you know i'm sure People will say, oh, well, it's because there was a, you know, because of the coronavirus and this, that. And well, it's not. It's because the show that you've been doing every week has been so well received that yeah. people, when when you made the suggestion, they were open to it because it's been well received. If it had been doing terribly, they would have said, um, no, nah. thanks. I, I so, mean, what you just said then as, as well is right. Like um, the coronavirus, in a weird way, with WWE still running. You know, in in a perverse kind of way, it's it, yeah, it has worked out because WWE, like even our traffic on the site is up, and you know all of those things. But yeah, you you've hit the nail on the head. If the if the show wasn't doing well, they wouldn't have given us that um, platform. The actual original idea that they wanted to do was cover it live. I don't know. You might have seen me tweet about this and asking for people's opinions. Um, they wanted us to do like a live show, essentially commentating along with it which i thought was just a terrible idea <laughs> um like it's it's not like you know i mean it's not a terrible idea i just don't i don't I think, think at that, that that time as well it's not great like yeah. if you're going to be up you're going to be watching it you're not going to be up having it muted and i don't know yeah. listening to what i think so I just, I just thought it'd be better to do a preview and review and, and, and in, my, in my opinion it's worked out pretty well um so yeah, like you just said, sure, some doors open, but I've, we would have run on TalkSport too anyway, without a doubt. Yeah, I think, um, what did you think of the, uh, the overall show? Mania. Um, mm. I, I was really pleased with it. Um, I, I, you know, I've seen some contrasting opinions on the cinematic matches and things of that nature, but for me, it's probably in like, my top five Manias. It really is. Like, um, There's a lot of matches in there I really enjoyed. Now, just, just to just to kind of give you an overview, you can dip and dive in whenever you like. But uh, I thought Charlotte and Rhea was extremely strong, probably the strongest women's match of the weekend. I don't agree with these assertions that Charlotte is burying anyone, or um, you, you know, it's just a it's just, just another reason for her to reign on top. Uh, I really do think Rhea benefited from that match, and she will benefit moving forward. I spoke to Charlotte the next day. I definitely got that vibe. Um, I feel like the ladder match was a show stealer. I thought Edge and Orton was an absolute classic. It just could have... I think if it had lost, lost about 10, 15, 10, 15 minutes, minutes, it would have been one of the matches of the year already. The, the opening and the end, I thought, were phenomenal. It was just... that It kind of laboured a little bit when it was just strikes through the performance centre for like 10, 15 minutes. But otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm not... That, that's that's being um, hypercritical. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not like I sat there and I was like, "This is terrible." It's just 
a hypercriticism, I guess. I, I, but to them, it might have been part of engrossing you into the story. Who, who knows? Uh, I yeah. think either of the title matches, um, only the outcomes. Whether yeah. ends justifies the means, I guess. But uh, I wanted Drew as the champ, and, and I didn't really care who was champ as long as it wasn't Goldberg. So um, from a fan's perspective, I got what I wanted. But I do think Brock and Drew could actually put on a banger of like a 10-minute banger um without having to do these finisher fests which both of them were that's just not my cup of tea it might be to some people but it's just not for me what about you man so i'll start with what you finished on um the thing which bugs me about brock is i i get his character and i get that he's built up as like this unstoppable machine etc etc but what kind of bugs me a little bit with him is brock lesnar is very capable of putting on an outstanding match. Yeah, very now, good, not, where Goldberg is not. Yeah, so where I'm not saying that every time Brock Lesnar comes back, you know, every couple of months he comes back and he has a feud, that he should have a 10-minute, 12-minute match. I'm not saying that. But when it's um when it's the right opponent, why like why didn't he have a similar match in terms of length that he had with like a Daniel Bryan or a, uh, an AJ Styles in terms of length? I guess their Drew. argument is to is that it makes Drew look strong having disposed of him that quickly, but I, I don't think that's. I think that perception is really dated. And I think more especially than, especially when you've had the exact same match the night before, yeah, literally. Yeah, exactly. Four four I mean, that, to me, that's a bit. To, like, to me, the whole stigma of people is a bit of a date, dated concept in general. Like you can build someone up through wrestling skills, and wrestling fans want to see great matches or inventive slash creative finishes. Yeah. The, neither world title match gave us it was very by the numbers when you just figure out that they were, you know, chucking finishes around. That, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the bare minimum. Uh, and, and I feel like for both matches to go in that way, I can understand Goldberg going that way because he yeah. truly can't do much else, but, Brock and Drew, I, I felt like should have been more. But like I said, I was happy with both results. So I kind of just put a lid on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for me, like the whole, in terms of the whole WrestleMania thing this this time around, um, I've struggled. And I've said this on the Keeping It Real shows with um, Andrew Thompson. Like I've struggled to get into these empty arena matches. Just yeah. the matches. Like no matter how good they are, some of them have been outstanding in terms of technical you know, technical moves and psychology. I just struggle to really feel it. And I don't get, I find it hard to get into it. So I went into this and I was looking at the matches on paper and I was like, yeah, I'm looking forward to a few of these matches because I'm interested in the build up or the characters, but I'm not expecting to enjoy it at all. Yeah. And I enjoyed every single match for different reasons. Every single one. Um, some of the booking decisions I was a bit puzzled by, on only only but then that was only on like one or two um the charlotte and Rhea thing um i do think they would have been better served for Rhea to win but i also i'm similar to you i don't buy into this thing that charlotte's like had everything handed to her on a plate and she's the the golden child look it's very clear that wwe wants her to beat her dad's record it's clear you know everyone knows that they want her to beat the 16 times and she will but equally, how like there was a time she won the title and she lost it in the same night to the Money in the Bank winner. She hasn't always had 
the the longest of reigns. It's not like when she gets it, she gets it for 18 months and beats everyone. She's had quite a few short reigns. And I wouldn't be surprised if she drops it to Io Shirai to make Io Shirai look strong. I don't I mean, know. I think, you know. Um, the, the thing with that and, and Charlotte Flair is she is fully capable of having, you know, a few, you know, having a few matches with the NXT talent and really helping bring some of them on. She, she said something very interesting to me on Monday, and it was um, that Rhea Ripley almost looked stronger in defeat for having gone toe-to-toe with Charlotte than, than maybe defending the title would have... You know what I mean? Like, ju- just hanging yeah. with someone of the calibre of Charlotte Flair. And I think that's a very true statement. I um, I think that rub will benefit her in the long run. You have to remember, Rhea Ripley's 23. I know, she's so there's, young, there's so young. No, no rush for her to like Charlotte Flair 34 in bang in her prime. There's no rush for Rhea Ripley to go over her. People are so short sighted with that stuff sometimes where they just want the result that they want. And don't get me wrong. I'm a big Rhea Ripley fan, big fan. She's a huge talent, but I, I don't think it's the end of the world that she lost to a prime Charlotte Flair. Rest no. I really don't. I, um, I was more upset. Dry, very excited about that. Very. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I was more I was more bothered. I wouldn't say upset. I was more irked by Shayna Baszler losing. Yeah, because I I feel like the window for Shayna Baszler is a lot shorter. Like I think she's, she's thirty nine. She's I think she's forty thirty nine. But that's the thing. Right. We, you know, people they, they, NXT won at Survivor Series and were really strong, and then Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley both lose at WrestleMania. Um, I'm not as high on Shayna Baszler as I am on say Rhea Ripley. Um, that's not to say I don't like her, but and I've made this argument before. I feel like if Ronda is coming back this year, which all signs point that at some point she probably will be, assuming this coronavirus stuff settles down, um, then her building to her and Becky one-on-one is the natural thing to do. And in that scenario, you need Becky to look just as strong as when she last beat Ronda to help make that magnet. Do you know what I mean? Of yeah. can, can an unbeaten Becky... Can Ronda avenge the only loss he ever had? That's that's the draw there. There's no need to insert Shayna into that. Are you really going to have Shayna Baszler be the next dominant force in WWE? I'm not convinced that she was. I feel like she was built just to face Becky. And that, Simon, is always a recipe for disaster. When you build yeah. someone for someone, right? Yeah. Like after WrestleMania... They built Lacey Evans just to face Becky. Then you lose to Becky. Then what do you do? Well, you yeah. just lost the whole thing you were built for. So where where do you go? You've gone to the top of the mountain already, to, and you and you fell. So you failed. When people why- do that, it's it's horrible. This is a terrible example I'm about to give you, but I'm going to do it anyway. When um back in I think it was two thousand. When did Shield debut? Two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Right. And Ryback had been running through people all year. Um, and it's crazy to there's a lot of people who are probably watching this who will think Ryback wasn't over, Ryback was really over like in 2012, but the fans were really hot for him. And CM Punk was being like this little sniveling hill, but Ryback was still squashing people, so you thought he was way far away from him, right? Then they had this, I, think, I can't remember what CM Punk did, but he was scurrying away backstage and he runs in to Ryback. And he, it's one of them, you know, where the ca- he, he knocks into him and the camera pans up and it's and it's right back. And the crowd went crazy for it. And it was like, it was organic 
Do you know what I mean? They didn't do all that yeah. work back to then meet CM Punk. They probably did that backstage thing just to see, oh, I wonder how the crowd will react. And they went crazy for it. And that's when you know you've been building a character right. And then you can let them two characters meet. I mean, ultimately, okay, Ryback lost that. But what I'm saying is the intrigue was there because fans had already gotten on his side before that. Whereas WWE were telling fans to get on side with Shayna Baszler. They're telling them she's a threat. They're not letting them work out for themselves. They're telling them she's dangerous. You know, oh, you got to watch her. And that doesn't, I think, on this day and age, I'm not sure that washes. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's always that danger when you try and tell the fans who's uh, who's the top star or who's the threat or who's this or who's that. Um, I think it's dangerous. Yeah. And I think, certainly anyway, but go on. Yeah. With Shayna, I think my thing was I assumed that she was going to beat Becky. Becky was going to go away for a couple of months and they were going to kind of do like that Rocky three story where she was going to come back um, after the loss, avenge the loss. And then Shayna would go and do her thing. And then Ronda would come back and they would do it that way. Yeah. Um, because I assumed that they'd want to give, they'd want to keep Shayna strong and like she's been very. If you take out WrestleMania, she's been. Not many females have come in and been that strong, ever. Well, like in the last just, year, what she's only lost to Rhea and Becky, and she. Yeah, so it's not the worst thing in the world when you look at it from that point of view. No. Um, I've got to ask you because um, I know you haven't got a great deal of time, so I want to ask you about the five. I'll give you ten more minutes, mate. I'll give you ten solid minutes. Go on. Excellent. We'll spend it all on the Firefly Funhouse. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it? I loved it. I loved it. I loved it, and I loved um, I loved the Boneyard match. Both of them excellent. Um, to a lesser degree, I loved Gargano and Champa from NXT last night. Um, it was good. Don't get me wrong, but you, they're following in some kind of steep uh, footsteps after the last week for cinematic matches. I did like the ending though. Well, I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I did like it. Um, but yeah, Firefly Funhouse. I, I spoke with a, a guy from WWE, one, um, one, one of the guys I regularly speak to, and he said that he thought Cena was the super giving, basically. That he'd done so oh, yeah. much to make Bray Wyatt in those, uh, for want of a better term, mm-hmm. vignettes or whatever you want to call them. I thought it was like a film I did. Yeah, it was a journey. It rewarded you for knowing both of their stories, right? Like Cena and his journey to where he is, and Wyatt, and how they collided at Mania, how that affected Wyatt, and and where everything played off from there. So I feel like it was a real reward for for being invested in their stories. But even if you had never seen either of them, by that same token, it painted it all out for you. So I thought it did a wonderful job of... um, helping both characters. Cena was clearly giving him the rub. That's a huge rub for Wyatt to get. And I just thought it was masterfully done. And also in a different tone to the Boneyard, it fit Wyatt. Yeah. It, you know, Cena as well, kind of in a wacky role, was very, very well done. I just thought it was it was excellent. And The Fiend is in like a more powerful position than ever now because, you know, when Cena comes back next... Everyone's going to be like, man, what is he going to? Is he going to be changed? Like, what actually happened? It's uh, there's lot when there's lots of questions. It's a good thing. Yeah, I am. Um, so, a couple of things I would say. Um, 
first of all, I'll say the three cinematic matches which the WWE did, the, the, the best thing I like overall about them all is they're all different. Yes. I loved how different they all were because they could have easily just done a kind of lazy template of the final deletion for every single one and just inserted different characters with similar spots. But they didn't. They made them, they tailored them for the feuds specifically. Um, and the Firefly Funhouse one I like as well because if John Cena decides he never wants to come back, what a way to finish. Mm. If the, I, mean, I think he will come back. He will, I, obviously I, he will. But like, but um, he, if you he know, doesn't want to. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's still, you know, he, he might go away for a long time now. Um, and then they can obviously tell a story when he comes back and it can all, it can all kind of tie in. It, it's just, it's been done really well. But like you said, I, I felt like the hallmarks of it, so the Firefly Funhouse and the Boneyard suited both characters. Like the Undertaker's place seemed like his place and the yeah. Firefly Funhouse seemed like Wyatt's place. I loved the little NWO sketch in the Firefly Funhouse that was teasing, um, you know, it was basically linking back to Hogan joining the NWO and that massive ho- um, ho turn, heel turn. Yeah. And- and representing Cena wanting to do that kind of thing, but but he never, never actually never turn and, and he's trying to vicariously do it. I thought that was magic, man. And um, yeah, brilliant, really brilliant stuff um, from the minds of I mean Bray Wyatt mainly, but Jeremy Barash and a couple of others. There's you know they've all done a fantastic job. There. So creative. Um, so one of my <coughs> sorry, uh, one of my listeners uh, sent in a thing saying um, he he wants to know your opinion. Um, I talked about this a little bit with Andrew, but um, he wants to know if when Cena does come back, would it fit not just or the way that everything's gone with The Fiend, Cena's got to come back as a heel, really, because that's what The Fiend has changed in everyone. Um, and he kind of laid out a big, long thing. But basically, the gist of it is uh, Roman Reigns is getting beat down by you know, wrestler X, whoever it may be at the time. <laughs> Everyone. Um, John Cena, come, like, so say a tag team, I don't know, whoever. A tag team's beating up Roman Reigns. John Cena's music hits. He comes down, goes to, everyone thinks he's coming to save Roman Reigns. And in fact, he turns on Roman Reigns, joins this tag team and forms not necessarily the NWO, like to 2020, but like a kind of super super heel stable led by john cena um i'm not sure if it would work in this day and age but i think it would get people interested what i think you... he'd, get, he'd get the biggest cheer of his career if he did that um and that's, yeah, what, that's, and that's the, the thing. thing like it's uh wwe have probably always resisted on that premise really but it's interesting because there you definitely could do um like a I don't want to say like a Hollywood rock, but you know what I mean? Like a snobby character. You could also do a darker character with, with that is kind of aligned with Bray. You know, I'd love it if, if he was kind of a permanent fixture in the Firefly Funhouse now, you know what I mean? Like, like a puppet of him. Um, And same as like Vince's and, you know, all the others. And just to keep it moving along, just to explain it a bit, because you don't want to, that's the thing, like you don't want it to just be, oh, the fiend's back next week, and he's, you know what I mean. There's no mention. Yeah, For me, it's Cena. I'd love a heel Cena because he's perfectly capable. I do think 
that was sowing the seeds a little. And I do think the fact that he's playing a bad guy in the fast franchise helps is, is a good time. Do you know what I mean? If, yeah. he's, if he's finally embracing that in any capacity, then I think it's a good time. Um, how he does it, you know, forming a stable, that would also be great because, it, you know, anyone getting the rub of Cena would be sensational. Um, I'm just not sure. It, it would, you know, it's hard to say who the, who's the most beloved person in WWE today, but um, as much as I'd love it to be Reigns, I don't know. But he would have to, it, you know, he'd probably have to crap on multiple people, I would say. Yeah, I think he'd probably have to start with maybe a Reigns and then, uh, you know, attack or cut some promos on some beloved baby faces to make yeah. just to cement the booze. But um, I think Bray Wyatt's one of the, uh, in terms of character, like people do like the Fiend's character. And I think that's why so many people were up in arms about the, the Goldberg, Goldberg thing is that so many people have enjoyed you know, the Fiend of the Firefly Funhouse and that sort of let thing. Me, let me touch on Goldberg quickly. Now, you see the reports come out yesterday, right, from Wrestle Talk and WrestleZone. Um, oh, that he refused to lose. Is that right? It's ridiculous. Right? They're saying he, he, he refused um, to lose to Wyatt and, and then he refused to beat Strowman because he didn't want to work any more dates in 2020. That's a load of, a load I don't of um, yeah, I spoke to people in WWE. It's a load of rubbish. It's he's he's going to be working whenever the next Saudi show is. He's going to work it. So this whole doesn't want to work in 2020 again doesn't make sense. Um, the Wyatt thing is ridiculous. The whole idea that he was brought in in the first place was to beat Wyatt so that they could then get a positive reaction for Reigns at WrestleMania. It's the whole yeah. Essentially, the whole premise. And they wanted to move The Fiend onto Cena. That was a plan that they always wanted to do. And although the original idea was, oh, maybe you could have Cena going for the 17th title, they couldn't think of a way to get to that. Like, they didn't want... There wasn't a way that they could... They couldn't. They didn't have any time to get Cena on TV to earn it or... Do you know what I mean? And to build yeah, it. Yeah. And they were like, you know, we'll just make it for not the title and we'll have Reigns and Goldberg. Sounds good on paper. Obviously, it didn't work out because, you know, if I'd seen Reigns run through Goldberg, I'd have been happy as anything. Wouldn't have mattered to me. Um, And, you know, what what I'm trying to say is everything that they planned out obviously didn't really work out. And they they didn't need to bring in Goldberg at all on reflection. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, nobody could have predicted where we are now. Um, So, yeah, it's a shame, but... The, the, anyway, what I wanted to say about that is that the reports on Goldberg, uh, and, and I'm, we know I'm not a big Goldberg in-ring fan, but it doesn't mean he deserves all this slander as if he walks around yeah. by age saying, I'm not losing to that guy, I'm not losing to that guy. He doesn't do that. I, I, I agree with that. I, I'm not a fan of Goldberg. I never have been. Um, but I think the fact is, is, especially with those Saudi shows, is that... Guys like Goldberg and Lesnar get paid so much money to do them; they will effectively do whatever they are told, yeah, within reason. Like, and Brock Lesnar's always said himself, "Is he'll lose to anyone, just as long as he gets, you know, whatever they've agreed to pay him." I know, I know, we've had this discussion before as well, but like, you have to think to yourself, how many moles are there in WWE? Like, seriously, like, have you ever, yeah. have you ever, have you ever sat there and looked at the amount of people that say? Sources. Got a source, yeah. 
Yeah, source. Seriously, man. How, how many? I don't want to swear. How many people? No, how many people do you honestly think are in WWE trying to 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 tell people things like? Uh, um, for me, obviously, I've been interviewing wrestlers for like five years plus now, and I've gotten to know a few people either in networks attached to the company, or you know, some people inside of it that I've just met from going to America, doing all these things, going to shows, doing all these interviews. You get to know certain people, and even I am far less connected than some other people in this world, right? And then you get these people, and I, I, I feel like I'm going to sling mud. I don't really want to, but like. They don't really go to shows. They they just work for little websites out of nowhere. They've got sources. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. And people need to think before they start jumping on the bandwagon. And I was trying to say that in my tweets yesterday about Goldberg. I was like, basically, I said in the first one, that's some alleged sway. Like, do people really believe that he could walk around backstage and say, no, 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 change the mania plans? I don't want to lose to that guy. Um, yeah. And you know, I don't. I just, I just want fans to be more considered about their sources, and that's by no means saying follow me, I'm the Messiah. But I'm just saying be careful of what you do consume because everyone is looking for that route. That what gets you clicks is rumors, right? And and news and inside scoops. Not everyone has them, and a lot of journalists know that's a way to get ahead and that's a way to get clicks. And honestly, it's it's not a good sight. Oh, I agree with you. And I know we talked about it before, so I'm not going to, and I know we're coming up on time now, but like I will say is, is, um, is these people who go for the, the clicks over quality of reporting is yes, they get found out eventually in the midterm because people realize they're full of crap. Well, did but, you see that Brad Shepard has, has taken a step back apparently? Oh, well, that's because he's been found out and people well, have realized that he's full of shit. Precisely that. But, uh, actually, I don't even follow him, but someone sent me the screenshots the other day of him doing this long essay. In fact, it was Ryan Saturday who sent me the screenshots. And uh, it was of him saying, uh, in, a, in a really convoluted way, that essentially he wasn't going to be doing what, he was, what he's been doing anymore. Um, which Surprise. is fine. <laughs> which is fine. Um, it's just, it, but, but like you just said, eventually, I think Bill Bassey was, was a guy back in the day as well. Like, found they, out. All get, they all get found out eventually. Yeah. Um, what surprises me is some of the, the bigger networks or not net, not necessarily networks like TalkSport or like uh, NBC or people like that. But I mean, bigger websites, which uh, maybe don't do their f- due diligence and then attach themselves to these guys. Yeah. Who are clearly making stuff like that. That baffles me. Look, I, I've inboxed um, Adam Petitti at Cultaholic before and said, you know, I'm not going to say what the journalist who it is, but I've said don't, don't use that guy. You know, you know, you're you're running that report. You're but, better than that. But I can tell you, I know that that's wrong and that he's, you know, uh, and I've spoke. Even WWE have told me a few of the guys they've seen on the circuit that, uh, again, I'm not going to name the name, but yeah, funnily, enough, funnily enough, it's the same guy. Um, they, I was one of the PR guys was telling me yesterday that. Uh, are coming out of mania so they were like you know we're, we're actually we're going to try and stamp down on some of these reporting now and somebody had put out a video do you know what would do that though mate do you know what would wwe could do to stop the shitty reporting is to give interviews and uh time to websites who are good 
like whether it's yourself, whether it's Fightful and Sean Ross Sapp, mm. or it's um, Ryan Satin, or you know some of those other people. And I did notice, obviously, you get interviews. Ryan is obviously working with Fox, so he gets a certain amount of access. I yeah. did notice that Kofi Kingston was on uh, Fightful the other day. Yeah. So whether that's part of their their strategy, and I think that's a very good strategy to not only Listen, stamp out, me, stamp out the there, shit Kevin. ones. You, you'll you'll have to ask you'll have to talk to Sean about that. But he spoke to me after it, um, and there is a story behind it. But you'll have to ask Sean because it's not. I right, will. But I will um, but uh, we you know I've, and I've spoken to Sean and many others about WWE and the way their PR reaches out and and the way they view goes back to what we said at the beginning of the interview the way they view the outlets and things like that. And I do feel like. Um, that's what my reputation's kind of been built on at this point that I've handled the interviews well. And yeah, you get some of these ridiculous people online calling you bootlickers and shills and whatever. Honestly, it doesn't bother me. Um, That's, I mean, it's part of it. If if that's what they want to say, I mean, what do do they think I'm going to do? Like, it's not biting the hand that that feeds you because I don't work for them. But at the same time, it'd be stupid if I um, was just, you know, crapping on everything yeah. WWE did, but at the same time, I'm a positive wrestling fan anyway. So well, you, know, you know, it doesn't bother me. But anyway, the point I was getting at is that they do filter talent around, um, and I think that WWE have some expectations. But these websites, um, and I'm you know, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, like I don't know, like a Ringside News, for instance, which yeah. is terrible the worst of the worst but you know let's just use them as an example they have to because they don't have that and they are you know they are who they are they have to like make their own news and it's crazy that some fans will still go there and look at their stuff i I don't uh i don't really understand it but you know wherever you can get concrete stuff either a from the horse's mouth because guys like me sean and ryan have, have spoken to the superstars or we're at events, we're seeing what's going on, we're speaking to production people, we know what's happening at shows and behind the scenes, like by and large. Um, so I, I would, I guess I would just encourage people to, to use their brain in, in, in that aspect. Yeah. Uh, but that's not to say there aren't, aren't a lot of good people out there doing work. You've just, you have to figure it out yourself. Like Gary Cassidy is, is a, a guy I like very much. Um, not sure why he's selling hoodies of himself. I'm sure uh, we'll get into mm-hmm. that next time I see him. But his interview work and his work rate is very, very good. It's something, it's something that I like. Like he's a guy that I um, would welcome on my team any day at Sports Keda. And there are several different guys. Stephanie Chase is another one. Um, you know, people talk about a, a lack of women in journalism, particularly wrestling journalism. She's the best there is in the UK, in my opinion. Uh, knows New Japan, knows AEW, got like the back of her hand. Uh, I, I, again, if I had a spot, a talk sport and I could pay her, I'd, I'd bring her in in a heartbeat. So there are people that you should be giving attention to. Uh, but then there's a lot of people that, uh, for want of a better term, trying to fool fans. And, and that's, that's, that's a part of wrestling that I'm, I, it bugs me. Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, so just to finish off, I will say one final point on this. Um, uh, obviously I do a podcast, a regular wrestling podcast with Andrew Thompson, who used to work for Five Four Works for Post Wrestling now. Um and he is an excellent reporter. Post wrestling where John Pollock is, right? Yeah. He, see yeah. John Pollock's fantastic. But anyway, continue. 
and um, and Andrew, he's he's only uh, I think he's twenty three. He's really one of the best uh, like young writers out there. Superb, and he's a very very funny guy. I love doing a podcast with him. He just uh, we kind of just fell into it. Yeah. Like we did one, and then we just like, oh, should we do another one next week? And then there we go. We're, but like, you know what? He, even just his grounding at fightful and and post, I would I would give him the time of day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah man, absolutely. But you know what? He um we were talking about this thing about WWE and how hard it is for people like him to get interviews. Um, and then he said, and then you'll get like the conference calls and so every now and again, they'll let some of these, for lack of the better terms, cowboys on. Um, and they'll, they'll ask really inappropriate questions. So yeah. like the way he says it is like, Andrew will say like, if I get a chance to interview someone from WWE, I'm not going to start asking them when their contract's out um, and if they've spoken to anyone from AEW or, you know, all the questions, which, yeah, maybe fans would like to hear, but it's perhaps not the time and the place to ask it when you're on a WWE conference call. Yes. You know, if you get to interview them in a different setting, fine. But don't, it's not about biting the hand that feeds you because they don't pay you for it or they don't pay you to interview them or whatever. You don't work for them, but it's about, being appropriate in your setting. Well, Steve, um, you're right though. Like, it's it, it's not the bite of the hand that feeds you, but it's the, the sentiment is kind of appropriate. The metaphor, because at the end of the day, if you want the access, which will in turn improve your workspace, yep, then you've got to, you've got to play by the rules. I'm afraid, like that's that's how it is. I don't, you know, I don't, I, I I'm not sure what people expect. I honestly don't. Yeah. It's not even like a. It's not even like they might give you a, a list of questions saying, "Don't ask this, don't ask this, don't ask this." It's like use your brain. You know yeah. what? I, I've never you had know a what? interview. Never ever had a WWE interview where they've said, "Send me your questions beforehand." Never once. Yeah. Whereas in AEW, I have to send them an email with a list of topics, not necessarily the question, yeah. but topics. Now that seems that sounds like a slant to AEW, but it's not because I've never sent them a topic they've sent back and gone that. And some of yeah, them, of and some of them, I've thought mm, they might not like that. But because you know it's talking about WWE yeah. and all this stuff, like when I interviewed Cody, and I thought oh, maybe they're not going to like that. But I thought fuck it, I'm going to give it a go anyway. Um, and never once have AEW said no. I think they just like to be prepared, which is fine. Um, but WWE, I've never had somebody say no. Uh, you know let me know what you're going to be asking them beforehand. And sometimes I've offered and they're like, "Eh, no. (laughs) So, you know, um, like you said, it's just, it's just about being sensible and playing by the rules. And and if I could give any advice to anyone, uh, to to position I'm in now where I'm interviewing people several times a week, uh, you know, just in the last seven days, I've had Ric Flair, Charlotte Flair, Gallus tomorrow morning. And then obviously there's people who are, who've been on my show and it is about building equity with those companies and within the industry and what, you know, and not only that, I found myself a good platform too. So it's like you have to tick all the boxes really, if you want to get that kind of access, but you know, I still get myself on those conference calls from time to time, mate. That's the one. That's the one, mate. That's the one. Right. Uh, Alex, tell the people where they can, find your show, find you on social media, find all your stuff. Man, my hair's driving me crazy right now. Um, you need some so, beautiful hair like this. Yeah, well, I wish I, I wish I did have hair like that. <sighs> it's going to be like that before long. Silky smooth. Um, so, I'm Alex M underscore TalkSport on Twitter. 
Um, I'm exactly the same on Instagram, but I'm really not worth following. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I've got my radio show, Talk Wrestling, on Talk Sport 2, and that is 9 till 10 every Sunday. And that's a phone-in, so fans get their chance to tell us what they think. Uh, as we've discussed in this interview, I get plenty of guests as well. Uh, and we have the quiz, which has become my personal favourite. Um, so, yeah, it's a really great time for Talk Sport, you know, banging online, got the radio show going hopefully when this coronavirus stuff is over there'll be more out in the field at shows doing interviews uh, that's that's what i love the most so let's hope we get back to that but until then yeah you're gonna have to deal with me on the radio and online i'm afraid good stuff uh, yeah guys i highly recommend you check out uh, alex on twitter very funny and uh, check out his radio show as well it's very very good um just very quickly guys check out away day apparel uh, uk, and uh, especially for viewers and listeners of Ace Podcast Nation, if you use the code, it all in lowercase, AA Podcast Nation, you get 10% off all your orders. YouTube.com. It is, yeah. And uh, I've like got a, fly, a flag for you as well. they got loads oh. of good stuff. I like speak it. To me after, speak to me after the show, my friend, and I'll uh, sort you some stuff up. <laughs> and uh, also, youtube.com slash Ace Podcast Nation. Subscribe. It's the hardest thing I found to uh, to build up. I've got like nearly nine thousand followers on Facebook now, but the YouTube is like just slowly building. It's weird, weird how it goes. Weird. But there uh, we go. My YouTube channel, I really, um, I really paid the love to it that I should. Um, but I did put a Bianca Valer video on yesterday. It was like the first, and the one before that, I think, was Jeff Jarrett. And then I hadn't done one in about a month before that. And I've still got like nearly 500 subscribers. And I think, God, if I can just get that to 1,000 and start monetizing. That's, yeah, that's the same as me. I'm like creeping up. I think I'm up to about just under 700 now. Yeah. But like one of my biggest issues I'm having is that um, like my viewers and my listeners, uh, they're kind of like spread over both. Yes. So like, like a lot of the people who watch the Andy Campbell show, they watch it. And then quite a few download it. But then some of the other shows, they all download it and don't really watch it. It's weird. I don't know how to explain it. But there I mean, we go. No, you're right. Because for me, um, like tw- Twitter is, is probably the, the main hub for me. And then as I've got more... So I wasn't even putting videos up, like I said, for weeks. But then as I was getting more um, followers on Twitter, then out of nowhere I'm getting subscribers on YouTube. And I'm thinking, well, I must be linked. Um and then I'm getting followers on, on Instagram again, and I'm a terrible Instagram. Unless you, you know, want to see me walking my kids around, there's not much going on, especially I've this lit- time. Yeah, I've literally, um, I literally joined Instagram about three weeks ago. I for yeah, the first time ever. It's hard going, mate. But but that's the thing about you know, growing these platforms. I feel like if you're consistent and you keep doing a good job, you get there eventually. Yeah, I'm happy to grow. Like I, I have had. Uh, I also joined LinkedIn a couple of months back. And um, I've had loads of like these podcasting agency people um, from all over the place in America and India contacting me. Would you like us to get your podcast into the iTunes charts and this and that and that? And I'm like, yeah, I don't even I don't even reply because I don't want to know how much they'll try and charge. And also, I'm proud of the fact that everything which I've got, everything which I've built, I've done organically without having to like buy downloads or subscribers or followers or anything like that it's mental by the way that you can do that right yeah i think it's ridiculous like i see some people on twitter and again i'm not going to name names and and they've got like 
tens of thousands of followers, but their engagements are like dog shit. And you just think, come on, like yeah. it's, it's what, why, why do that? Um, makes but you're sense, right, proud. Sense. I'm, re- I'm very impressed with even just this layout. I wish like, my YouTube channel looks as good as this. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I've changed again. I mean, I think the last time I did it with you, I was on zoom, wasn't I? Yes. Um, yeah. And I really, as you know what, I really, really, I really like zoom. Um, I like everything about it, but you can't um, do like the name things and the logos yeah. and stuff on it. We're in the recording and you can't do the video clips at the start and the end in the recording. You know, in, a live... in, in the UK, WWE using zoom now. Yeah, I'm not surprised because it's exceptionally um, stable. And what I liked about it is it records audio and video separate. And it also records my audio and your audio. Yes. So like, that's exceptional for like for what I was doing. Especially but, when you're going and editing and like this, it's awful when you've just got one audio, but like, but your line yeah. might be good and theirs is terrible and you're trying to boost the audio, but you've only got one line. It's yeah. When so. I, when I interviewed Robbie Regan, my line was really clear and crystal clear. His video was really crystal clear, but his, he was, his audio was really quiet. So I had mm. to go through and like fix it and stuff. But, um, I like StreamYard because I can, like, with the edit, even with this, where I've got to go in and change the, like, the name tag and stuff, it'll take about an hour. Whereas with Zoom, when I had to put everything in and then export it and stuff, it would take fucking three hours, four hours, (laughs) five hours. It's very time-consuming. So I'd rather have this, and then I can just, all done. And I can do it in a live broadcast as well with like video clips and yeah guys thanks for for listening and uh watching check out alex's on twitter and his youtube channel and his radio show and uh subscribe to my youtube channel and uh check out ace podcast nation on all of the platforms cheers guys and uh, alex cheers for time. thank you very much bud always a pleasure Podcast Network.